it is well with my soul. A lesson which God himself can only teach a child of God. For to see God in everything, in our afflictions and in our trials and in our sorrows, is to be well. Something the world knows nothing of. Psalm 73 this morning. I'm going to read the entire psalm, which I make no apologies for. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps were nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakeneth, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they, are, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. What an amazing psalm. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we dare not attempt to enter into this blessed passage of Scripture without beseeching you, the Holy Spirit of God, to be our teacher and our guide. 
so many divine truths in this passage of Scripture. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot, Lord, dwell on all of them. I pray that, Lord, you have led me to those passages of truth in this portion of Scripture, which we have need of today. Oh, Lord, we're here this morning to worship and praise you. We're here to learn of thee. Give us ear to hear what the Spirit saith unto this church. And Lord, as we gather around the Lord's table this morning, may we be reminded of the great sacrifice that you gave that we might have eternal life. And yet, Lord, before we feast on that ordinance, help us this morning to feast on the riches of thy word. Dear God, I pray the Spirit of God would guide and direct and that you would be honored and glorified in all things said and done this morning. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. You know, the Psalms have always held a special place in the hearts of God's people. And that for many reasons. Yet the greatest is because in many ways, the true believer can very much relate to its writers. No other book in God's Word unveils and lays bare such raw and intimate emotions and affections of the truly converted heart more than the writers of the book of Psalms. We can bear witness to their struggles and their afflictions, to their comforts and their joys. And though it is in some way selfish of us, because we seek our own, yet God by His grace has allowed His saints to open up their intimate affections and hearts and emotions that every generation might see the goodness and grace not of the writer, but of the God of that writer. How he comforts their hearts, comforts them in their afflictions, understands their sitting down and their rising up. We thank God for every word of God, and yet we thank God sometimes more for the book of Psalms. I say converted hearts because though the unconverted may give every effort to acquaint themselves with its writers and their afflictions and comforts, because there exists no work of grace within their heart, no true fellowship with God, he may in some way be able to identify with their afflictions, but never Never shall the unconverted know the divine comforts and joys of the promises of God who delivers his saints out of all of their afflictions. And the divine comforts of this Psalm 73 and the rich blessings which come from knowing that God is truly good is reserved for those whom verse 1 the psalmist says are of a clean heart. Not a sinless heart, but a clean heart. For not all Israel is of Israel. Not all those who profess to know Christ are Christ's. 
In vain, unconverted man seeks to know the comforts of the Psalms. Yet he'll never, ever, without Christ, come to know the God of the psalmists. Yet those who have come to know God in Christ, <laughs> we have rich blessings recorded in this glorious book of Psalms. And in Psalm 73, there's so many truths. When I began looking at a text I thought or believed God would have me preach on, suddenly almost every verse came alive and I was overwhelmed. And I thought, God, surely I, I cannot expound on each one. It would take us days, if not months. So it has been my prayer that God would allow me this morning to reveal unto you and preach unto you those mercies and graces of God which are most beneficial for us at the moment. And I hope and pray that God would allow me to do that this morning. I want you to first of all look in verse 1, in the wording of the psalmist before he even begins. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as a, of a clean heart. But as for me, I read the whole psalm that we might get the gist of what the psalmist is speaking about, but this first verse is actually the conclusion to the whole matter of Psalm 73. Even though he begins with that verse, it's the very conclusion. For though it was he himself that got him into such trying and painful predicaments by envying the wicked and ungodly, it didn't change the divine truth that God is good. Listen to me this morning, and I want to show you that later on. This is one reason why we come on Sundays not only to worship, that's the main prime, but the reason, the heart of worshiping is coming to know more about God. We come that we might hear, that we might learn, that we might worship God more clearly. No matter what he did, even though it was his own fault, and it was a grievous sin, because even in verse uh, 15, he says, if I say I will speak thus, in other words, that he's envying the godly and the wicked, and that he's washed his hands in vain, but I behold, I should offend against the Jenna. In other words, he's saying, I'm seeming against every child of God if I say we're washing our hands in vain. He's committed a grievous offense against God and the children of God. That's why he says, I'm pricked to my heart. I'm a fool. I'm ignorant. I'm a beast before God. I have done foolishly. Yet that did not change the fact that God is truly good to him. Why is that so important for us as God's children? Well, because God is good, not just now and then, not just when things are on the up and up. God is good all the time. And in every situation. So I believe as the psalmist inspired by the Holy Spirit began to write down and pin down what he had experienced, he begins by saying, truly God is good. In spite of myself, in spite of my shortcomings and my failure, in spite of my great offense against God, not just questioning, but almost condemning His divine providence, 
He says God is truly good. Even when we cannot comprehend or understand His often dark and mysterious providences. God is good all the time. Beloved, that may seem to be very simplistic, but it's something that we need to spend a lot of time meditating and praying and thinking about. God is good all the time. Even when our feet, like the psalmist said, are almost gone and our steps almost slip, even when we are foolish and ignorant and as beasts before Him, God is good all the time. When peace like a river attendeth my way, If sorrow and sadness floods my soul, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Why? Because God is good all the time. It's a humble confession of the psalmist before he begins to expose what was in his heart. Can you imagine God exposing all our painful experiences and all our failures and shortcomings in the eternal Word of God that every generation following could read it? The psalmist exposes his heart. But before he does, he's so taken up by the goodness of God, he wants to make sure that before he begins with that, we truly understand that God is truly good. Truly, God is good. At all times. Because even later on, he says, for he is continually with me. Though he says I was ignorant and foolish and as a beast before thee, he said, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. I am content. Thou hast holden me by, not up, but listen to this. Thou hast holden me, uh, me by my right hand. Not holdeth me up, but holdeth me. You ever noticed or, uh, when a child, a young child in the store for maybe the first time or maybe a lot of people and the mother's there and the child gets to be afraid or maybe something around it is, is, is filling his heart with fear and anxiety. That child will slip over to the mother and grab the hand and hold it. That's what he's saying. God is continually with me and he holds me by the right hand. He's holding me as a child, fearful of the surroundings. He's holding me. In spite of the fact that I was foolish and ignorant and as a beast before thee, you were continually with me. And you hold me by my right hand. Truly, God is good. <laughs> Therefore, he says <clears throat> in verse 25, Whom I have have I in heaven but thee? Whom have I in heaven but thee? It's a question. There's nobody. There, who do I have in heaven but thee? Oh, I can't wait to see Aunt Agatha or Uncle Jim or Samson or Moses. or No, he says, I don't care who the saints of God are. There's no one in heaven I desire but thee. I look for no one but thee <clears throat> in heaven. The angels in all their greatness and glory, does not compel me to desire them. There's nobody <clears throat> in heaven I have but thee, and there is none 
upon earth that I desire beside thee. I love thee above all human relationships. Nobody on earth do I love more than thee. <clears throat> my flesh and my heart faileth. I love this. And I so wanted to just dwell here for a while. But I feel the Lord intended something else. But I, my flesh and my heart faileth. That's the extent of us. Our flesh and our heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart. The strength of my heart. The strength of my affections and my emotions, my deepest compassions. God is, God is that which revives me. He is that which gives my heart meaning. God is the strength of my heart, and I love this, and my portion forever. The wicked might have all the things, <clears throat> excuse me, that he expressed in the first verses, but he says, my portion is God forever. And this is not the only time one of the psalmists mentions God as being their portions. That truth is very worth our time in studying and meditating before God. God is my portion. My portion. Forever. The psalmist had made a terrible mistake. A most painful offense against God and the people of God. His feet, he said, were almost gone, and his steps had well nigh slipped. Yet it was the goodness of God which kept him. It had not been altered nor influenced by anything that he did. It was continually with him and even held his right hand. When we was preaching from Ecclesiastes the last week or so, I almost wanted to get into the history of Solomon. Most of us, I hope, understand that Solomon came about because of David and Bathsheba. Well, we know the tragic story of David and Bathsheba and how a son died and Oh, David, the sword never left the house of David. Terrible thing happened, but Solomon was the result of that. The Bible says the Lord loves Solomon. But if you'll look at Scripture, even way back before Solomon, before Bathsheba even happened, when David desired to build a house for God, God says, no, you can't build a house for me because your hands are full of blood. But you will receive a son, and he shall build me a house. That son was Solomon. Even before David fell into sin, God knew and said, out of that I will still bring about a Solomon. You see, sometimes we grieve over choices in life. You might want to grieve over that, but never think God was ignorant of that. Way long before we made that choice. And there's a Solomon in every bad choice. Not because of anything of me or you, but because of God. 
Truly, God is good to Israel. In spite of that fact. The psalmist would have never come to the conclusion of, Whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If he'd never been brought so low as to see that he had made a great offense against God and his children. I'm telling you, dearly beloved, truly God is good all the time. And I'm not saying that to condone sin. I'm simply stating a divine truth concerning God's children. God can make that crooked path straight because He's good. And yet the goodness of God extends far beyond this present life and even beyond our temporal slippings. Because he says in verse 24, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Listen to that. Thou shalt guide me, future. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. This is important for us to understand, especially since I want to get to the topic of what we want to look at this morning. It's important. That's why I wanted to lay that foundation there. He said, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. You'll never stop guiding me with your counsel. And afterward, you're going to receive me to glory. How was it that the psalmist came to this blessed conclusion? Follow me. How could he be so sure, especially after being so grieved in heart and pricked in his reins, so foolish and ignorant and as a beast before God, how could he be so sure of such a thing? Verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I. They're in. This verse is pivotal for this pitiful for this whole passage of scripture. This is the turning point of the psalmist. When he went into the sanctuary of God, then he said, Then understood I their end. Beloved, there lies within these words of the psalmist a most blessed and divine truth which has been lost and or ignored by this self-seeking and sinfully secluded generation of professing believers. I want you to listen very closely to me this morning because I want to instruct you on the ways, biblical ways and means of godly worship and the reason why we go into the sanctuary. This was the turning point. He said, I didn't understand all this. He said, if I say, he said, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Beloved, the psalmist didn't come to this conclusion, this divine truth concerning God's great goodness by private revelation. But only when he went into the sanctuary of God. When I thought to know this, again, 
It was too painful. He thought to know this. When I thought to know this, it was too painful. I couldn't figure it out myself. I couldn't. And we're talking about psalmist. Some say David told Asaph what to write. I'm not going to get into that. But the psalmist said he tried to figure this thing out himself, and he couldn't. It was too painful for him. Until he went into the sanctuary of God. Then he said, I understood He didn't accidentally stumble upon this. But according to our text, with purpose and intent, he went into the sanctuary of God seeking answers. Follow me close because I want you to I really want you to understand this. Because we live in a generation today where people are more and more convincing themselves that church, the gathering of the saints together, is not that important. Let me tell you something. It is. And when you lack that, you're lacking a lot. He didn't know what to do until he went into the sanctuary of God. Then he understood it. He went in not merely to attend a worship service. Nor did he enter in to be entertained, amused, or to be social. In most churches today, they gather merely out of social reasons. Oh, I like the fellowship. Oh, I like the children's church. I like the praise service. Oh, I like the interaction between all the people and everything else. I just like, that just makes it good. That's not worship. That's not what worshiping is about. That's not what we do on Sundays. We're not here to entertain one another. We're not here to be social. Though I'm not saying themselves, that of itself is wrong, but we're not here for that. We don't come into the house of God going, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope whatever falls from heaven falls in my lap and I can catch what God's trying to tell me. You might say that's a little ridiculous, but a lot of Christians act that way. They come to church not knowing what's going to happen. And it's like, well, Lord, whatever you have for us, just, you know, rain it down from heaven. I hope I can catch what you're trying to tell me. That is not how we should come into worship. That's not the attitude we should have as we come together to worship. Our attitude should be that of the psalmist. We should be coming with intent and purpose to learn. Not only worship God, but by worshiping God, learn what God has for us. Because there God instructs his people. You say, oh, God instructs me in my private devotions, and he does. But I'm getting there, but I'm telling you, there's something about when the saints gather together and the word of God is being preached, that God reveals himself in a manner like none other. And if you're lacking that, you're lacking something in your Christian life. And I'm telling you, this whole thing with COVID and the internet and internet church, cyber church, it's been detrimental to the church. Some say, well, it's good for the church. I'm saying it's been detrimental to the church. Because now people are going, hey, I don't need that. I can sit before my computer and enjoy worshiping. Nope. I'm not saying there's some benefit to the Internet. We put up our sermons on the Internet. We are live on the Internet. But I'm telling you, there's something about physically being attentive or attentive, physically being present in the house of God. When the Word of God is being preached, there's something that you can't get anywhere else but there.
he went with intent and purpose into the sanctuary of God that he might understand those divine truths he was yet ignorant and foolish of. Look over in Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter 20. Why do we come to church? Well, we come to sing praise and worship God. It's a duty. Well, that it is in some aspect. But do we come with intent and purpose to learn? God, show us something today. I need to hear from you today. I need to know something from you today. Look at Psalm chapter 20, verse 1. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of, of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary. And strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy offerings and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Send thee help from the sanctuary. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary. You see how the psalmist says that's where God is going to send help from the sanctuary and he'll strengthen you out of Zion. People today seem to try to justify their actions by sinful man's actions. What do you mean by that? Regardless of how many pulpits have been corrupted by men, and listen closely to me, regardless of how often people have been disappointed, even hurt by the actions and behaviors of others, so-called Christians even, or how one might seek to justify their reasons for ignoring and avoiding the assembling of ourselves together, even as we see the day approaching, it doesn't change. It does not change nor alter the divine truth that God has ordained help from the sanctuary, not the Internet, and strength out of Zion. People say, well, I just don't go to church because I was offended too much. I was hurt too much. That doesn't justify that. Well, I don't go to church because all the pulpits, I mean, so many pulpits have been corrupted. It doesn't justify that. Well, I don't go to church because I can't find a church that's like-minded. You'll never find one that's like-minded totally, ever. Do you know that? Do you know that? If we all, all agreed in everything perfectly, we'd either be liars or hypocrites, or both. You'll never find one. God has ordained the assembling of the saints for a reason. And no matter how often man has corrupted that or sought to corrupt that or man has failed in that, it doesn't change the divine truth that, this, that the sanctuary of God, the assembling of the saints together, worshiping on Sundays, is something that every Christian should with all their heart, all their soul and all their mind keep to maintain. Because God does things in that assembly that he does not do outside that assembly. Over in Psalm 63. Until I went to the sanctuary. Psalm 63. Look at verse 1. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsting land where no water is. For what? Verse 2. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. You see how he signifies in the sanctuary? 
something's happening in the sanctuary that didn't happen anyplace else. He said there was a power and a glory that happened in the sanctuary that I didn't get outside of the sanctuary. I desire to see that. Over in Psalm 35. Psalm 35. Verse 18. I will give thee thanks in the privacy of my home. No, I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. You know, you don't have to teach a true Christian the value of Christians gathering together on the Lord's Day. You know that? You don't have to teach a true Christian that. For years I struggled with that. I thought, well, these people profess to be saved, but it doesn't matter to them one iota if they go to church or not. And it bothered me. And, oh, I, I, I've been spent time as well as you, I'm sure, in churches who where we would follow after them. We'd follow up. We'd go to their houses. We'd knock on their door. And we'd try to say, why don't you come to church? And we'd try to do everything. You know, come to church. We'll give you a TV. Come to church. Bring a friend. We'll give you a Bible. All these little things to try to promote people to come to church. And it just bothered me for a long time. I've come to find out that a true child of God, you don't have to co coerce them go to church. You don't have to convince them the value of going to church. You know why? Because I believe God teaches them that. Just like God teaches us to love one another. Know you not that God teaches you to love one another? I believe God puts it in the heart of every true child of God to know I need to be in the assembly of the saints on the Lord's day so that I might worship God. But all this world today, it's all sentimentalism. Oh, God knows my heart. He knows I love. That's, that's the problem. God doesn't take sentimentalism over obedience. doesn't happen. And you hear it all the time. Oh, God knows my heart. It could be your problem. God never takes sentimentalism or emotionalism over obedience. To obey is better than a sacrifice. And yet we live in a generation of Christians that live on that sentimentalism, emotionalism. Oh, it doesn't matter. God knows. And no, every true believer knows because God teaches them. If you have to coerce or force someone to come to church, you're probably better off not even having them go to church. You say, well, that's not the right attitude to have. Well, I, I, I believe it is. You know why so many churches have problems today? It's because people are there who shouldn't be there, who don't want to be there. You say, that's pretty, no, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Listen to the word of God. I'm telling you the truth. Uh, they went out from us because they were not of us, Paul said. Avoid their brethren, cause the divisions amongst you. One of the seven abominations, he is, is he that sows discord amongst the brethren. It's a seven abomination, one of the seven abominations that God has in Proverbs. We come together as God's elect. We come together because we want to be. We come together to worship because we want to be there. We're drawn there by God's grace and mercy. We come to worship our God together in unison, to pray together, to sing psalms and hymns together, and to learn together. 
Why do you think Paul exhorts us in Hebrews, forsake not the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is, especially when you see the day approaching, provoking one another to love and to good works? I'm telling you, look at the signs. Look at the signs, dearly beloved. Look what's happening in the world today amongst those who profess Christ. And I'm going to show you that verse in a few minutes about a famine that's coming upon the land, which is already here, of hearing the word of God. Not the word of God, but of hearing it. And people's wandering all over trying to find it. I know of believers right now, because of differences and differences of opinions and divisions, they're wandering around trying to find some kind of church somewhere. Look at the signs. Look at the evidence of it. Help, strength for the believer, the manifestation of God's power and His glory, thanks and praise, great and mighty things are promised, dearly beloved, to those who attend the sanctuary of God, divine blessings and promises which can be obtained nowhere else except in the public assembly of God's people and the worshiping of God and the preaching of His Word. Let's look at one of my favorite psalms. I have many, just like you, but Psalm 84. I love Psalm 84. And listen to the psalmist in Psalm 84. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord God of hosts, or Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, <clears throat> yea, even fainteth. <laughs> For the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now listen to this. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house, not occasional visitors. They're dwelling there. Now follow his thought here. They're dwelling there. <clears throat> they make it their permanent abode. They will still be praising thee. You know what that means? When he says they will still be praising thee, he means in every situation of life they will still be praising thee. Why? Because they've made the house of God their dwelling place. They have received something from the house of God. So no matter what their life ends up facing, they will still be praising thee. There's something about a Christian's consistency and faithfulness to worshiping God that enables him to be consistent in praise through every aspect of life. They will still be praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Now watch this. Who passing through the valley of Becca, Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the, the, the pools. Becca was a, uh, a name for Valley of Tears. He makes it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They refresh him. Look at the blessings of those who dwell in the house of God. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Company to company, strength to strength. You see the perseverance, steadfastness. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thy anointed for a day, and thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Do you know that was the lowest position in the house of God? Look at Ezekiel 44. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. 
in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. That's the blessings of those who dwell in the house of the Lord. They that dwell in thy house shall still be praising thee. They pass through the valley of Becca, making it a well. They go from strength to strength. And how could we forget Psalm 122? Psalm 122. Psalm 122. How could we forget Psalm 122? I was glad when they said unto me, let us... You see the plural? Psalmist isn't selfish. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, and the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. You know what we have here this morning? We have the tribes. I know literally it's talking about Israel, the twelve tribes, but we have the tribes here. We have the tribes of the Sifferts and of the Stongards and the Shepherds. And the <laughs> for there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and my compa and companion's sake, I will now say peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. You know, beloved, the believer cannot be filled with the fullness of God and not possess a true and genuine love for God's church. I believe the Bible teaches that is an impossibility. And yet I want to show you one or two more things before we close in our text. First of all, to the believer this morning. I want you to see something that is crucial for us to understand about worshiping on Sundays. Verse 17, until I went. Until I went. He went with purpose and intent into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Again, I want to emphasize this. Too many times Christians come to church not really with an intent and purpose. They come going, well, Lord, we're supposed to meet because we're supposed to worship. We want to worship and praise you and sing songs. Lord, whatever happens, happens. And I just pray that, you know, whatever drops from heaven, I can catch it. We should be coming as the psalmist into the worship of God with purpose and intent, with a purpose in prayer and intent a purpose of worshiping God, yet an intent to learn, understand, and listen to what the Spirit of God saith unto the church. Are you following me? We should be coming with purpose to worship and intent to learn. Lord, this is why you pray for your preacher. Lord, give him the grace to feed me with spiritual food that I am in need of. Lord, I come not only to worship Thee, but I come to learn. Open my ears that I can hear what You're trying to say to me today. 
I come with a purpose to worship you because you are worthy, and I'll worship you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. I'll sing praises and psalms, and I'll pray to you. But Lord, I also come with an intent and purpose to learn something more about you and even myself. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I want you to read these verses yourself today. I want you to understand this because I, I hope and pray that it will change the way we come to church and in doing so, change the way we receive the things we need in church. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to what? To hear. Pay attention. If I flippantly come into church and say, well, I prayed and, you know, we're going to worship God. And, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're told to worship and it's just a duty and a privilege. And so we come together and I start singing and I'm flippantly singing through the hymns and the psalms. And, you know, I pray and, okay, and now we sit back and say, okay, God, I don't know really what. I just hope and pray that something hits me. Don't expect God to do anything. Be more ready to hear. Why? Be more ready to hear. Lord, I need to hear. I'm getting ahead of myself. You know, seven times in Revelations, with them seven churches, seven times it says, He that hath an ear. He that hath an ear. We all have ears. But whosoever has an ear that is ready and willing to listen, he that hath an ear. The, 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 the apostle's not saying only those who have physical ears. We all have ears. He said, He that hath an ear. He was listening. Let him hear what the Spirit you know why we don't hear? We're not coming with the intent to hear. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and understood. That's why it's important for us to follow the example of the psalmist. Our Lord said Himself in Matthew 15 or 13 about those preaching he was preaching to he says to hear with their ears and should understand with their hearts that's the you know how god gets to the hardest of the hearing of the ear we live in a generation where a lot of people meet this morning in different places simply to get their emotions aroused that's why they have an hour-long praise and worship service and 10 minutes of preaching and that's usually storytelling people today don't want preaching it's not preeminence anymore they want entertainment. They want music. They want to. They want to be. They want to feel good. They want people to talk well about them. They want to leave church going. Everything's okay. I'm fine. I'm all right. That's not worship. What worship is about? Christ said, "Hear with the ears and should understand with their hearts." I love how he said that, and be converted to understand with their hearts. You think it's? I don't know if you do or not, but let me tell you. Preparing for sermons is not easy. I was talking to somebody that goes to another church yesterday, professed to be a pastor, but I, I'm here, there, they're here or there. But um, one time, once somebody asked me, he says, um, if we had to pay you hourly, and I stopped him and said, you couldn't pay me. He said, oh, come on, man, you only preach on Sunday. You couldn't pay me. The struggles, the temptations, the sweat, the blood, the tears, everything goes along with it. It takes a lot. It takes a lot. 
throughout the week. Very intimidated by the word of God anyway. Come Saturday, I'm very fearful. Come Saturday night, I'm very afraid. Come Sunday morning, very much. Stand up and preach the word of God, knowing that I shall one day hold account before God what I say. And yet to see so many people, oh, we won't go there. Studying the Word of God is sometimes hard. Preparing our hearts to worship God and to hear is no easy matter. And I rejoice in the fact that I know of, of, of a surety that, thou, that everyone here this morning prays for me, and I am comforted by that and helped by that and strengthened by that. But, beloved, I'm just telling you, as much labor as I put in to seeking God's grace, to preach his word, I pray you would give as much effort and energy to receiving it. Because then you shall truly hear with the ear and understand with the heart. And isn't that what we all desire? The psalmist went in with an intent and purpose. We must go into the worship service with an intent and purpose to hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. And that's my prayer for our church. That every time we meet together, I know that in this new generation, I, if some of them that were here now, they'd be saying, oh, preacher, you make too much of this. We've got to let go and let God, we've got to just let the Spirit move. And You only have to look into your own heart to realize that that's not true. How often have we come to church and sang the hymns, and while we're singing the hymns, our minds are going in all different directions with the problems and cares of the world and this or that. And the true child of God knows it takes a lot of effort. Amen. Yet there's also hidden in these words, and I will close with this last point of the psalmist, the divine exhortation that I believe we need to hear. Namely, and listen to me carefully, what if there was no sanctuary of God into which the psalmist could go that he might understand? What if there's no sanctuary? What if there's no church The psalmist said in Psalm 74, we see, not our sign, we, see not, we see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. Psalm 74, 9. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. Beloved, I believe most of us are aware of this danger in the day and age in which we live in, but do you know that the pulpits are getting fewer and fewer? Think about, just for a moment, it's got to make this practical. Think about the preachers you know today in this world that God is greatly using. I don't care if they're in small areas or big areas. Think about them for a minute. 
the majority of them are up in their age. Who's going to follow them? What's happening? When people cannot find churches anymore. And they're constrained to go to the internet because there's not a church within 200 miles. We have a preacher not far from here that we all know and love. 30, 40 years ago, people would be clamoring to hear him preach. And yet he has nowhere to preach. We see not our signs. In the days of Samuel, the Bible said the word of the Lord was precious. That means rare. In those days, there was no open vision. You know what that meant? They didn't hear from God. I don't care what the charismatic tell you. God speaks through His oracles. Men He's chosen to do His preaching. And one of the greatest judgments of God upon His people is to remove that voice. We see this today happening everywhere. And the continuation of that verse in Samuel was, Ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. Where the ark of God was. The ark of God was a symbol of fellowship with God. And it says, ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. The lamp of God has gone out in many churches. We need to thank God that we have a place to go to gather with saints of like-mindedness. To gather together to worship and praise God. Be we small... It makes no difference. The fact that we can meet together as God's people and we're like-minded and we're encouraging one another and we're exhorting and provoking one another to love and to good works, beloved, that's going to be a rare thing in the future. When I thought about this age of preachers that is... A dying breed, if I may say. I know very little or very few men that are coming up in their shadows, and I pray and hope there are, and I'm sure there are somewhere. God has always had His remnant, but I'm telling you, it looks pretty vague. Look at Amos chapter 8 in closing. Amos chapter 8 in closing. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. He didn't say of the word of the Lord, but hearing. When we cease to hear, And believe me, beloved, what a lot of people today are hearing is not the words of the Lord. Come to our seminar. We're going to help you build your faith. Who in the world thought you could ever build your faith? It's not even yours. It's a gift of God. 
what they're hearing in many places today is not the word of the Lord. There's a famine of hearing it. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. Now, I know there will be some who disagree with me, but let me say this anyway. Maybe in the weakness and ignorance of my getting older, but I mentioned it yesterday to some brethren. We have many, I believe, sound doctrinal brothers and sisters who are in this case right here. They're going here to there, east and west, roaming about trying to find the word of the Lord. If, and I know some of you might say that's an impossibility, but I'm speaking from my heart. If those brothers and sisters and us likewise, if we could ever solve the differences and the divisions, there is enough strong doctrinal believing believers in this area, we would make a good witness in this community. I'm telling you. But it's not happening. You know why? It's a sign of a famine. We're too engulfed in ourselves. You want to know what's going to be preeminent? Let the Lord bring you close to death or age you, and you'll find out what's really priority in life, what really, what really means something. And I fear too many believers are too selfish. We're too prideful. And so we have true-hearted believers that I believe love the Lord, are sound in doctrine. You can say what you want to. Some would say, well, they're probably not converted because they're not. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you the truth. I believe they're, they're truly converted. I believe they're sound in doctrine. And yet because of this sign of famine, we're seeing that everywhere. And it's sad, if you ask me. You say, well, we could never come to agreement with those. But God is all things possible, are they not? And whether it happens or not in our lifetime, beloved, I truly believe that we should still be grieved by it. I still believe that we should pray. You remember Saul when he sinned against God and God said, that's it. Taking the kingdom from you. He went to Samuel. He said, Samuel, would you pray with me? Samuel said, God forbid that I cease to keep praying for you. Even on Calvary, the Lord is our example. Father, forgive them. But they know not what they do. Simply because it's something that's not going to happen maybe in our lifetime or something that we can't believe will happen doesn't mean we shouldn't be praying for it and longing for it. History claims that the Apostle John, in his old age, being somewhere around 100, when he would finally be able to attend services after being 
band to the island of Patmos, that they would, brethren would take him in both arms. He couldn't stand so weak. And he walked into the pulpit because he merely wanted to say this, they say. Brethren, love one another. And he'd sit back down. What did John see in his old age that we don't see? I'm telling you, beloved, until I went into the sanctuary of God and I understood, may we cherish what God has given us. Praise Him for it. Thank Him for it. Oh, we don't have the luxuries of padded pews, big building, but we have each other. And most of all, we have, I hope and pray, God's presence. So let us continue to come to the worship with intent and purpose, purpose to glorify God and intent to learn. And may we learn to dwell in there and the blessings that come with it. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for thy word. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you give us. And Lord, you give us more than we deserve. Lord, there's nothing in this life that we deserve. Lord, if we only come to understand that we have everything by your goodness and grace. Lord, what we deserve is eternity in hell. We deserve to be forever separated from God because of our sins. So, Lord, what little we have in this life, in this temporal life, Lord, we, we don't deserve any of it. Lord, if we could just understand that, we'd be content with anything and everything because God is our portion. Christ is our life. Lord, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Thank you, God, because truly you are good. And we praise and thank you for it. We do pray for those brothers and sisters who are wandering. Lord, I know that they're sincere. I know, dear God, that their desire is to serve thee. I question not their motives. I know that they love thee. Lord, I pray for them that you'd help them find rest. And by that, I mean simply a place that they could call a worship, a place of worship. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to continually be in prayer for this. May you be honored and glorified in all we say and do, Father, for we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.